You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. David Greising, chief business correspondent for the Chicago Tribune, goes on the record online. The LA Times has kind of fashioned itself as the New York Times uh, version two, whatever you want to call it, and in some sense forgotten to cover the local community. And thank you for joining us for this episode of On the Record Online, the podcast that brings you the story behind the story. Uh, my name is Eric Schwartzman. I am the chairman and founder of iPressroom Corporation. If you are wondering what that is, uh, if you're uh, someone at a at a PR agency or if you are on the client side, if you're in marketing, uh, either at an agency or on the client side, if you're in advertising at an agency or on the client side, if you're in corporate communications, if you if your job involves communicating on behalf of an organization, uh, then um, what we are is a set of tools to allow you to integrate new media into what you do. So if you're Looking at podcasts and blogs and RSS and search engine optimization and video on demand and audio on demand and email marketing and all the different things that are being talked about in this Web 2.0 shift, we are an online solution for doing that. You get a username and a password, you log on, and you can do all this stuff yourself. It's all integrated into one platform uh, that comprises a component and a section of your website. Um, and a lot of big companies using it. And if you want more information, you can get it at iPressroom.com forward slash visible. Um, I'm also personally and professionally fascinated at how uh, new media and uh, emerging technologies are changing the way organizations communicate and the way people consume media and information. Today we have a one-on-one -on -one interview with David Greising. He is the chief business correspondent of the Chicago Tribune, and he talks to us at a time uh, of great interest uh, in the Tribune Media Company. Uh, it is being acquired uh, by Sam Zoe. Uh, this podcast is being recorded and released in April 2007, and we will talk quite a bit about um, the consternation uh, concerning this acquisition and what the impact will be for the Tribune Media Company and for uh, the world. So I hope you find it interesting. It runs around 29 minutes. Um, if you have questions, comments, feedback, or if you're looking for a job and you have a resume, send it to me at eric at ontherecordpodcast.com. Uh, we're hiring, and we'd love to hear from you, uh, particularly if you have uh, PR agency experience. So um, send that to eric at ontherecordpodcast.com or with your notes or with uh, any questions suggestions for, for future guests, uh, whatever you like. Uh, we love getting your feedback. Please do send it. Also, we have a new podcast website, and you can check that out at www.ontherecordpodcast.com. Sign the Frapper, Mac, Frapper Map, leave a comment. Uh, and now, uh, after this um, uh, brief announcement from my company, iPressroom, we will play for you the interview with um, uh, David Greising uh, after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from iPressroom. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. 
Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. David Greising, thanks so much for joining us. Glad to be with you. Now tell us, what does the chief business correspondent at the Chicago Tribune do? Well, my job is, broadly speaking, is to cover uh, globalization and how it affects uh, readers and people in the Chicago community. Uh, But beyond that, when there is a big story happening, I uh, tend to get recruited to try to bring my perspective of more than 20 years in business journalism and uh, much of that time based here in Chicago, try to bring that to bear on the story. So stories of, of great importance, such as, say, for example, when Sears was bought out by uh, Eddie Lampert, the, the hedge fund investor, that was a big story, and I got involved in that. And so the Tribune story, while I didn't cover it day-to-day as events were developing, kind of as the end game came into sight, uh, I got involved and, and um, contributed along with my two colleagues, Phil Rosenthal and Michael, who had done an excellent job of covering this on a day-to-day basis throughout the kind of six-month auction process. You also wrote a couple of books, right? You wrote the book about Coke and then the book about the um, commodity uh, exchange. Yes, yeah, a couple books uh, so far, and uh, that's uh, you know a, a different sort of discipline. I, I've I think benefited greatly uh, from writing those books along the way. They you you do a different kind of reporting when you're writing a book. You get into a lot more detail uh, than perhaps you have an opportunity to do in your daily uh, newspaper writing or magazine writing, having spent some time at Business Week as well. Um, those sorts of experiences, I think, contribute to uh, bringing kind of a breadth of, uh, of experience and, and kind of a, be able to bring into focus the historic moment of big events and bring that to readers in a way that maybe somebody who has just done daily kind of spot news coverage uh, hasn't had a chance to do that sort of uh, reporting yet. Now, obviously, we're in the middle of a pretty big news story right now with um, the uh, real estate tycoon, Sam Zell, who has well, acquired the Tribune company, yes? Yes. Yeah, we have a real estate tycoon uh, uh, now set to take over Tribune. Uh, in, in interviewing Sam Zell last week, uh, he made it clear that he doesn't bring a lot of uh, uh, experience in the media industry. He did own JCOR, the uh, radio station uh, chain, which he sold to Clear Channel, um, and that was really just a financial investment. Sam Zell is a very financially motivated person, and I wouldn't say that this is not purely a financial investment, but it does seem from talking to him and talking to friends of his that there is also kind of a hometown boy buying up the big newspaper aspect of this story as well. So it'll be interesting to see. He does not uh, have a BlackBerry. He does not use personally use the Internet. Oh, I'm sure he has people who uh, scour through the Internet on, on a regular basis for him. But uh, given that the Internet is so key to the future of Tribune Company, it'll be very interesting to see how somebody with very little prior exposure to the internet, um, and certainly very almost no prior exposure to media, uh, will kind of grapple with some of the huge problems facing the mainstream media industries. I remember hearing uh, Carl Bernstein give a talk one time, and he said, uh, you know, in democracy, for the fourth estate to, to work, 
the truth has to be the bottom line. Uh, but unfortunately, the bottom line has become the bottom line. <laughs> how, how do you think that, I mean, is going to affect this? I mean, how's, how is, what is the morale in the newsroom at the Chicago Tribune now? Well, uh, interestingly, when, when Sam Zell's name first emerged, uh, there was quite a lot of consternation uh, because what we knew mostly about him was this reputation as the grave dancer, as a contrarian investor. And a lot of people made the jump to assume that that meant that he stripped assets and broke up companies and sold them for parts and got as much money as he could out of them. But as we've looked into his background, it's pretty clear that uh, that's not really uh, fair to him. What he does do is he buys and holds. He's kind of a a contrarian Warren Buffett, maybe, uh, although I, you know he doesn't have Buffett's track record, and, and it's probably uh, giving him too much to, to put him in, in that sort of a, a legion. But, but he's a guy who, who does have a contrarian point of view, who does make, it, make money by buying distressed properties, but what he tries to do is hold on to them and bring new management and new insight into how they operate and try to squeeze as much money as he can out of them, uh, not necessarily by squeezing every last nickel and cutting back, but by finding new opportunities and making the most of the opportunities that exist. And, for example, he's made a lot of money by buying up companies that, that have huge tax loss carry forwards. In other words, they've lost a lot of money over a number of years, and they can use the tax credits you get uh, to put those up against profitable operations that he merges them with. So if you've got me spinning off a lot of cash and you've got a company with those huge tax credits that have gone unused, he marries those two things together and so that the profitable company is no longer taxed and the company with these unused tax credits all of a sudden is using its tax credits. That is part of his thinking with Tribune Company, which has more than $800 million worth of uh, tax loss carry-forwards that, that it has not been using. And he's hoping that if he can find profitable enterprises for the company to be involved in, uh, a lot of that ba based on Internet uh, opportunities, that he can probably take advantage of that. So do you think those Internet opportunities will be acquisitions? Will they be internal units? Uh, of the different holdings of Tribune that will either be built up. I mean, how are newspapers going to reinvent themselves and capture a new generation of computer-savvy readers? Well, the thinking here is that uh, newspapers are just starting to really understand how to make the most of the Internet in, in terms of their production of content for the Internet, and certainly they haven't figured out how to do very well on the advertising end of things. Uh, Tribune Company, frankly, has been a little bit slow. Uh, it certainly has not hit, uh, made some of the moves that, say, New York Times and Wall Street Journal have, uh, who, who have figured out how to, how to do this much more successfully than Tribune Company has. So if you look at the Tribune assets, you could say, well, here's a company with the L.A. Times and the Chicago Tribune and the Baltimore Sun and, and other newspapers. Uh, here's a company that creates a lot of really good, unique content that has not really been exploited very well. And so if you start exploiting that better, if you start selling ads against it more successfully, you can make uh, probably a good business out of 
um, just the mainstream media type work that's already being done. Then on top of that, you look at some of the other Tribune assets. CareerBuilder.com, for example, is now the number one uh, job search site. It, it, it took over Monster.com, which had, it's now beating Monster.com in the U.S., which had a huge head start on CareerBuilder. Well, Monster.com is huge internationally. CareerBuilder is nowhere to be seen outside the U.S. So if Dell can figure out a way to make CareerBuilder work on a foreign, you know, on a global basis, and there seems to be no reason he can't, uh, that would be another opportunity. MetroMix is a kind of a lifestyle site that Tribune Company owns that they've just done locally here in the Chicago area and maybe one or two other markets. Well, they want to take that national, and they've they've talked about it, but not really acted very aggressively on it. And it, it's hoped that somebody like Zell, who kind of is very motivated, kind of to get things done, who who has no tolerance for bureaucratic thinking and bureaucratic kind of cautions. Uh, he might move more aggressively and try to exploit some of the opportunities that are just sitting there right in front of this company. And then on top of that, to hopefully bring new thinking. He's talked about on his board of directors, he wants to bring people, uh, both for those experienced in in media and those who have no prior experience in media, and kind of meld them together on his board of directors to try to think strategically about where this company needs to move. Of course, one of the uh, criticisms that's been levied, and you actually have written about it, is uh, the idea that print revenue or the, the fact that print revenue is actually falling off faster than it can be gained uh, online. Um, so, I mean, even if they're able to, uh, the Tribune is able to reinvent themselves and, and see growth with these Internet businesses if the bottom line uh, of success uh, in the online world is, is not equal to what success was in the print world. I mean, you, you've got to think heads in the newsroom are going to roll. Well, it, yes, and, and, and it's expected that heads in the newsroom will be rolling already, as you no doubt know. I mean, we've had cutbacks, uh, certainly at the LA Times. There have been significant staff reductions, and we've had some here at the Chicago Tribune as well. Uh, the way that it's looked at here, though, is that regardless of whether the current management uh, was able to do what they called a self-help option, which would have, would have amounted to selling um, uh, giving a, a big one-time dividend to shareholders, taking on a lot of new debt, and then moving forward, or whether it was Sam Zell with his highly leveraged uh, uh, purchase of, of Tribune Company using employee stock ownership plan to finance his purchase. No matter what happened, there were going to be hard times financially. And so the question is, uh, would current management continue with, in the way that they were were doing so? although having to deal with a much more difficult financial situation because of the debt that they were going to take on for their self-help program? Or do you have a new person come in with a little bit of new capital, with a lot of new thinking, um, still facing the same dire economics of, of the entire that the entire industry is facing? And do you hope that maybe the chances of, of him being successful are better than the chances of, of the of the existing management uh, facing even more tough times. So um, nobody's nobody's denying the fact that the industry is facing really tough financial times. But I guess the hope is that kind of new thinking um, uh, from somebody like Zell might kind of breathe a fresh air into the industry, might, might come in and say kind of there will be no sacred cows, for example. There won't be, you know, he won't be thinking about the industry that he grew up in and, and have to, 
kind of um, uh, coddle those, that people, that part of the business, or those people whom he personally knows, he'll be able to make a very bottom-line decision. That may mean some pain in our newsroom and in other newsrooms. It may mean, uh, well, it does mean, for example, that he sells the Chicago Cubs. But um, uh, that's, what, that's what you hope when somebody comes in new. Now, the bigger question that you're alluding to is what to do about the underlying economics, um, uh, the fact that you don't advertisers don't pay as much for space on the internet as they do on newspaper in newspapers well nobody has figured that out yet it would seem to stand the reason that as more and more advertising moves to the web the pricing is going to get a little bit richer uh, whether it's enough to support the kind of reporting that tribune newspapers do with foreign bureaus and etc and all that uh, remains to be seen uh, it's uh, nobody has a, a, a flat answer for that yet because so much is unknown in hindsight, and obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, uh, was the sale of the L.A. Times to the to the Tribune Company uh, was was the Chandler family right to sell? I mean, did they make? It, it, if you were the Chandler family today and you knew what you know now, would you have sold the L.A. Times to the Tribune? Well, the the defenders of that deal say, you know, the Chandlers actually have done pretty well by their investment in Tribune Company uh, in taking Tribune stock um, in their sale. They they certainly sold by some measures at the top of the market. They they in a way uh, cashed in at at a time when media properties were hot and and old line media properties were still doing well. Uh, the impact of the Internet had not really been felt yet, and so they got a pretty good price for their company. The trouble that they, the, the mistake they made was taking most of it in, in Tribune stock, which has gone down considerably, and the decline in Tribune stock is what led them to begin agitating for change uh, about a year ago uh, now. So um, have they done well? Was it a mistake? Uh, I think the big question is would they have done better operating um, Times Mirror Company on their own? And I think the answer to that probably is uh, not very favorable to them because the problem that Times Mirror part of the company had was that they were they were uh, kind of fat and happy. Uh, they, they had a lot more people than they needed to put out that newspaper when you look at the current economic metrics of this industry. And uh, while the Tribune people have been criticized as kind of bean-counting bureaucrats from the Midwest, if you look at the, the headcounts that Tribune runs by and you look at the headcounts that um, the Times-Mirror newspapers ran by and compare those to industry averages, it's clear that the Times-Mirror side of the business was, was running with a lot more manpower than was needed for the kind of circulation numbers that they had. And, and let's not forget that the circulation that they were talking about prior to the deal really wasn't the same is the actual circulation of the of of the news the number of newspapers that they were delivering at a lot of their newspapers? You remember that Newsday, for example, had been padding their circulation, and so their newspapers actually were a lot smaller than they uh, were publicly uh, disclosing to people. So that company was going to face a lot of trouble, whether it was the Chandlers running it or whether it was Tribune management running it. And I think it's fair to the Chandlers and fair to Tribune management to say. The Tribune management um, has brought a little more financial discipline at a time that it was greatly needed. Why is it that – I mean, it, it, it appears to, to many of us who are not nearly as knowledgeable about the, 
these uh, these dealings as someone like you uh, who's sort of covering it and 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 looking into all the corners of of the dealings but it seems to somebody like me that the Channer family is almost bending over backwards to sell uh, the, their ownership in the Tribune to Sam Zell, uh, particularly given the, the, the debt-laden nature of the deal. I mean, is that your perception? Does it seem as though they are motivated sellers? Yeah, they're motivated sellers. They want out of this investment uh, because they've seen the stock price go down by you know about 50% in the last few years, and, and they – um, they don't like that, and and what they wanted to do was they wanted they wanted to to monetize their investment in the company one way or another, but they also wanted to also avoid taxes as much as possible, and they they couldn't have it both ways uh, very easily, frankly, and so um, uh, they were kind of stuck. They they're very tax averse, and and so. Um, uh, in order, and, and yet they've owned these assets for years and years and years. So anytime they do any kind of sale, they run into huge tax problems. And in fact, uh, hidden within the Tribune purchase of uh, of Times Mirror in 2000 was a, a billion dollar tax hit that that uh, that the Chandlers didn't think they were going to have to take because they thought they had successfully sidestepped the taxes. And the Tribune people who looked at it also bought into that argument. But right now, it looks as if it's a billion-dollar tax hit, given that the state of argument uh, before before the courts. And so, uh, you, you, everything they do, you have to look at it through the lens of uh, what is the impact on their taxes. Uh, as it stands, though, they basically, at this point, it seems, have said, "Okay, listen, we're just tired of this investment. Uh, we need to monetize as much as we can while the stock price is where it's at. We're going to get out, um, and we're going to do the best we possibly can." given the economics. That said, it is of note that the Chandlers did not vote for this deal. The Chandler representatives on the board abstained from the vote. And so uh, it seems to be the kind of their last little thumbing their nose at, at uh, the current management and the majority of the board of directors and saying, okay, we know you guys have kind of done the best you do you could. We our, our trusts are going to back the deal that the, the stocks we own are, are going to support this merger, but we sitting in the boardroom are not going to vote for it. Um, I, I think there is a little bit of, uh, of sour grapes uh, there from the channelers so far as we can tell. When you talk about manpower, the, the amount of um, uh, heads in the newsroom based on circulation being uh, economical, perhaps, it was, I, I guess, what you implied at, at the Tribune. How does a company like the New York Times maintain such a huge editorial staff and, and still be uh, somewhat vibrant economically or as a, as a public company? Well, the New York Times newspaper is the flagship, obviously, of a huge uh, media operation that has been very aggressive and very smart in attacking all kinds of opportunities uh, on the multimedia front. They've, they've, um, their web presence is probably, uh, by and large, the strongest of, of any. The, their ability to, say, for example, create Time Select because of the, the um, brand value of people like uh, Tom Friedman and, and David Brooks and, and their other columnists, not to mention the outstanding coverage that they do around the world, uh, much of which they can also put behind that uh, the toll booth called Time Select. So people no longer get their content. Uh, the best of their content is no longer free on the internet. The the you know the billion dollar puzzle that 
few in the newspaper industry have solved is, hey, how do we stop giving away this stuff for free and how do we start making money from it uh, every time people click on some of our content? Well, the Times, because of its unique positioning, has, has sort of solved that problem. And other newspapers have not been able to, in part because they just don't have the marquee name that the New York Times has. But when you look at the New York Times company and what's going on at some of their other newspapers, uh, they're not so different than uh, what other newspapers in the industry are doing. You look at, say, the Boston Globe, which has cut back very aggressively. That's a New York Times company newspaper. So um, the New York Times per se is a unique asset, and they've done a very good job of exploiting the, the unique content and the unique value in that asset. But the com their, their other newspapers are not immune to some of the economics that are afflicting the rest of the newspaper industry. You mentioned Times Select, and certainly uh, many people feel as though news is being commoditized because by the time you get your morning paper, you've probably seen uh, the major news breaks uh, via the wires on some sort of uh, Internet site. Um, is opinion becoming more important? Certainly opinion is, is becoming more important um, uh, for a number of reasons. It, it's partly what you say, that, that people... The assumption is no longer that um, you're delivering news to people when they pick up their newspaper in the morning. You're not delivering, you know, breaking news to them the way we used to, uh, because they've heard about it either on radio or on TV or on the internet. And so now, when when a big story is breaking and we in the newsroom are thinking, okay, what are we going to do with this story for tomorrow morning's paper? Uh, we're thinking, okay, how do we throw this story forward? What do we add uh, that that we know that the the, the news that the online uh, uh, editions of mainstream media aren't going to have already said, or the bloggers may already have said, et cetera, et cetera. And so we have to think in terms of our reporting and writing about ways to throw the story, anticipate events that will come down the road. Part of that equation is delivering opinion um, in the form of, of either analysis, which is reporting-based, or columns, which are uh, also based on reporting, but also much more the writer's opinion. Uh, that, is a, that is a big part of the equation, especially with the online presence. We don't always deliver all of our opinion uh, in the print version. We deliver it through uh, some people have blogs or through uh, we have, say, out of our Washington Bureau, we have what we call the swamp, which is just kind of a it's a virtual water cooler in which you know you can click in there and find out kind of what people are what our Washington-based reporters kind of think is important, have seen and heard that wasn't maybe big enough to put in the paper, um, but it's still of interest to kind of the, the news junkies. And so opinion and kind of repackaging the news are a big part of what we and other newspapers are doing going forward. Uh, some of these websites uh, like Dig and uh, Furl and Delicious and Technorati, you're probably familiar with, and many of them use social intelligence, collective intelligence, to decide what the most important stories are. Certainly, uh, Noam Chomsky has been a vocal proponent of, uh, well, he's been a, a, a critic of um, uh, newspapers' subjective determination of what stories are more important than others and that influencing opinion from an advocacy standpoint. Do you see a day when perhaps newspapers might look to collective intelligence to place stories, decide what goes on the front page? Well, I, I, yeah, I see that day every day. <laughs> um, I, these days in the newsroom, we're certainly aware of what the, um, the, you know, the, the, the global village is saying about 
what's happening in the world and before our editors go into their news meetings they I, some of them not all of them though are are kind of uh checking to see what what's buzzing out there and and what people are talking about we don't we want to differentiate ourselves from what everybody else has already been talking about and saying and 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 blogging about etc so we 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 do pay attention to that uh, we try to develop our 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 news sense independently from uh, everybody else, but um, we uh, we we don't by any means disdain what uh, what they're they're doing because there there's value in what they're what they're doing and they can influence uh, our sense of what's important and what people want to learn about. Um, on the other hand, we we view ourselves as having kind of a different sensibility. Than, um, than the kind of the blogosphere does, because we are people who have dedicated our careers to developing a sense of what is news and what's not news, what is important and what's not important. We don't have a monopoly on that, but we do have a um, a seasoned view of, of of what of what is important and one that is tested. In our own news meetings, where in which we debate um, the news uh, on an ongoing basis, uh, every day, several times a day, as we decide what to put in the newspaper and what to put online, and so I guess we just view ourselves as part of that community, and we would hope as as a, a thought leader in that community. And the only way that we win, I, I I don't agree with the arguments of Chomsky and others who who kind of who kind of dis, you know they they have. Uh, some sort of resentment towards um, this perceived view of, our, of us as kind of gatekeepers or or, or people who who kind of are are news bullies because we're the ones who dictate what's the news and what's not. We don't. We go out there and we ask people to read us every day the same way that a blogger does or the same way that uh, any of these uh, smaller websites do. Uh, we we have a little bit of advantage because people are in the habit of they know our name and they they've they've come to us for years in the print version and, and are now migrating to us more online, but we don't have any other advantages and, and our opinions no better than anybody else's opinion. Uh, the only reason some might think it's better is because we tend to attract more people and it's our dude. It's our job every day, you know, many times a day to continue to earn that sort of, of, of an audience. Irrespective of what you do specifically at the, at the Chicago Tribune and irrespective of the Tribune media company uh, by itself, um, you know, you are a media pundit. You are uh, very sensitive to developments that are going on in the business of news. And um, what, what might you say about the broader issues concerning uh, a new generation of younger readers who seem to be somewhat disenfranchised and less interested in, in hard news and more interested in perhaps the red carpet or uh, celebrity news, this type of thing? Um, are we uh, – I mean how will the, the, the news gathering, the news reporting industry deal with this challenge in an age when you know, the Tribune Media Company is, is quoted publicly – uh, on a, a PBS program saying that, uh, well, the L.A. Times really isn't interested in uh, hard news. They're interested in, in celebrity news, so let's, let's make it a softer paper. Are we, uh, at a, do, are we doing a disservice, and are we not fulfilling our role as the fourth estate if we water down the news integrity of, 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 of the newspaper business? Well, first, I, I don't think it, it's the corporate strategy of 
Tribune company to make the LA Times a softer paper. I, I think the the push has been to uh, to bring the LA Times in some sense back to its community. Uh, the, uh, the the LA Times has kind of fashioned itself as uh, the New York Times Part Two uh, uh, version two, whatever you want to call it, um, and in some sense forgotten to cover the local community. And the big push out there has been to let's 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 reengage with the local community while still uh, making room for some excellent coverage of the rest of the world. Uh, the, the foreign bureau system remains uh, intact and continues to contribute very mightily to the LA Times product. But what what they're saying out there is, hey, let's let's not forget we do have local readers and let's bring them the news they care about. And it just so happens that the entertainment industry is, uh, you know, it's a company town uh, in much of that readership area. And so they want to focus on that sort of thing very strongly on your broader question of what um you know what is what are what sort of news do younger readers value and what do we do about the fact that so many of them seem not to value uh you know the traditional kind of national political news and the sort of stuff that uh many of us in the newsroom here kind of ate you know ate for breakfast and lunch every day um that's that's a, a big challenge, and and it's interesting that uh, going back to the question of okay, what does Sam Zell, a non-media person, non-internet using, uh, new investor in the industry, what what does he bring to bear? Well, he said something interesting in our interview with him last week. He said, you can do really important journalism and be relevant, and you can do really important journalism and be irrelevant. The trick is to be relevant, and so what we want to do is we want to continue to do really important journalism, not just about uh, the celebrities, which is easy pickings uh, on the internet, obviously, and as well as in say, um, you know, this, this kind of tabloid, the Tribune publishes now called red eye, which is geared directly toward that kind of younger demographic. Uh, it's a shorter versions of a lot of our articles, much more focus on celebrity and, and media and, and gossip type stuff. Um, so we we want to continue to bring those readers important news, but we have to make certain that we're relevant to them. We have to make certain that we pick stories that affect how they live or affect the world they live in in ways that they can't ignore. Uh, there's just not as much uh, tolerance for the lengthy, um, uh, interesting, but not not particularly important sort of story that. I think too many newspapers had uh, had published for uh, too many years. David Greising, chief business correspondent for the Chicago Tribune. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.